I do. I need help. I almost said good morning, everyone. <laughs> but good evening, yes? That was a glorious day, and praise the Lord. And it's, it, it only gets better when you, when you have opportunity to study the Bible. Man, you can't get any better than that. Um, just a quick, uh, quick uh, couple announcements anyway. On the uh, 28th of this month, we're having... Um, uh, church cleanup day. So if you're not uh, busy or you'd like to come out, I know there's going to be like different zones all over the place. We, I think Juan thought maybe about 40 hands and uh, sh- uh, raised hands to come out and help. So anyway, there it is. May it's uh, April 28th and starting at eight, and uh, lunch is provided. So I think he's doing cheesesteaks. Actually, I overheard that. So it's going to be a good day. Makes it better. Um, don't forget the um, uh, prayer night coming up, and also uh, on the uh, May sixth, uh, Doctor Jason Lyles creation talk right here at the church, uh, both services, and I think they're doing an, an evening um, service as well, and that probably will be geared more to Q and A kind of thing. So um, I love when we do things like this. You know, I feel so out of my. My element, though, you know, you get these guys that are coming in, just brilliant men. So, um, and invite somebody, you know, uh, use it as a, a tool uh, to uh, in, to just witness to someone, bring them along. Also, just a real quick to information session, um, May 3rd for our Grace Christian Academy. If you're interested or you need more info about our school here, that will be the meeting to come to. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Uh, Let's look at chapter 3 this evening. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that builds all things is God. Moses verily was faithful in his house, all his house, as a servant for the testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts. They have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath 
They shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by, by Moses, but with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcass fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Would you please stand with me and let's pray over this text. Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we ask for just the leading of your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, for that anointing that you would set us apart for such a time as this. Lord, some difficult passages. Just to think that it's possible that someone can harden their heart. I'll harden it so hard that... Um, they become stiff-necked, as it was, God, stubborn, and not, not giving heed to the word of God. I'll be honest with you, Lord, I, I don't completely understand that. But I know through your Holy Spirit, you're able to make note of things, God, and, and put them in our hearts. And then we could ask you to give us ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us. Lord, let us look into this word. And when we leave it, not to forget things we've read, things that were expounded on. But God, please, wherever change is needed, change it tonight. Thank you so much for your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, never to grow tired of it. Help us never to just grow weary of it. We so need your help in these last days, Lord. <laughs> They are trying to make it against the law to have this book. My goodness. Please, Father, help us in these days. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen. Amen. Amazing what's happening out in California. Have you been watching the news of some of the laws that are pending right now about the Bible becoming... Um, well, you've heard of hate speech. Well, the Bible soon will be considered a book of hate speech. So therefore, it will be against the law to have any Bibles in any public settings. And they're actually trying to, um, um, they, they want pastors to submit sermons now to see if it's a hate speech. Um, and people are leaving California at a record rate right now. Uh, then pray for that place. That's where a revival is going to start. In a place like that. So dark. Not to be afraid of those. It says in the last days that these things would happen. So I'm almost in care. It sounds like a sicko up here. But 
I'm kind of excited about what's, what they're trying to do. His, his word will never return void anyway. I don't know why they're all freaked out about it. It's, well, anyway. Are you? I hope not. But we still have our freedom here. And we're going to study it. And uh, I, was, I was hanging out with Joe this week, my pastor. And um, he was interviewed um, a few weeks ago on a radio station down south. And the radio was called outlawradio.com. Outlaw, I've always wanted to be an outlaw. So, and I, and someone also gave me a shirt a year, a couple years ago, where it said something like that. Outlaw, you know, I'm an outlaw, and it gives the reason, you know, the word of God, the you know, and all that. But, um, um, but he was asked, where do you see um, the Calvary Chapel movement with uh, in the next five years? Where do you see it? And he and he took some time to think. And it's it was a classic Joe answer. He goes, "Well, I, I I see Calvary either being in heaven, or in the middle of a revival, or in prison. That's the only three places I see Calvary in the next three five years. Because if you think in heaven, because the rapture happened, in a revival, which we're all we would all welcome." Or because of our conviction with the word of God, possibly, you know, I might have to start a prison ministry. And at my age, I was telling my buddy, I'm, who cares? I'll go to jail for him. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, again, the book of Hebrews here, um, written to uh, Hebrew, Hebrew Jews, um, Christians, uh, for most part, I'm sure not, not, they weren't all Christians, struggling over Judaism versus Christianity, struggling over the law and struggling over grace. Uh, they just could not get their heads wrapped around that everything has changed on, on the flip of a dime. Things have changed for them. Um, that Jesus is going to be better than Moses. Jesus is going to be better than Aaron. Um, Jesus is the one we can only get rest that's why we hear a lot of the, um, when we read through it, we, we see a lot of Old Testament quotes and um, uh, some of the uh, Psalms are in here, especially Psalms 95 is kind of highlighted in chapters 3 and chapters 4 as entering into his rest. And that was Moses' job, to, enter, to have the Israelites enter into their rest, the promised land, or, or into the promised land. Um, and uh, a lot of them didn't quite make it, did they? Uh, because of unbelief um, and because of disobedience. But so that's why he says he, that Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the high priest. He's going to be better than the sacrifice or the sacrificial system. He's better than religion. Amen, guys? Got to love that. But so anyway, with that in mind, I don't want to go too long. I'd like to cover this chapter. And hopefully even get into chapter 4 because it's the same thought of entering into his rest. And you know what, by the way, just maybe just to kind of um, um, uh, tickle some thoughts here. Um, rest is something we all should be experiencing. Uh, a rest. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no trials or there's no heartaches. There's no um, periods of hard times. Um, but but spiritually speaking, we should all be in a place of rest, not unrest. And uh, I always think of Jesus that last day of that great feast where uh, he said, you know, if any man's thirsty, let him come. If you want rest for your soul, let him come. Yeah, he would say, you know, whoever drinks of this cup. 
There's a rest, spiritually speaking. And I hope you have that. I hope you're not in spiritual turmoil because for most part, I, I don't know the poll or the, the stats, but for most part in Christendom, people don't have that. They don't have that rest. And uh, hopefully you do, and if not, you'll have it tonight. Wherefore, he says, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, and uh, he calls them dear brothers. Uh, we know he's addressing Christians. Um, and whenever you see this, too, he's always including himself. And again, the whole argument, who's writing this? Is he, is he saying we, as he's a, he, who, the author himself, is a Jew? Or is he saying we, as if he is also a Christian? Again, he does, the, the author does put himself in um, their fellowship. He says this, considered an apostle, I'm the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And what he's doing, the idea of consider, he's going to use this a couple times about considering it. In fact, the Greek literally means to fix your mind on this. Christianity isn't just an emotional trip, emotional hype. Um, it's not about just the whole glory. It's about really fixing your mind and considering things and weighing things out. He has not called us just to put our brains on the shelf, folks. He, he wants us to be students of the word. He wants us to be able to reason the scriptures. Not that we're all going to be like apologetics, you know, kind of people, the Rabbi Zacharias and uh, the Dave Hunt, well, Dave's home with the Lord now, but, um, you know, he, he maybe hasn't called us to be like that, but man, to be able to reason the scriptures out, we should all be able to do that. And that's the difference between a church that's going to teach and, and church that preaches or the church that evangelizes rather than the ones who sees their congregants as disciples more than just sheep. I look at you guys as students of the word of God. I hope you are studying it. You know, I hope you're writing things down, and I hope you're not forgetting. Um, by next week, you'll remember this chapter here. He says, who, uh, who was faithful to him that appointed him? And again, he's talking uh, about Jesus, you know. He is an apostle. Uh, if you go by the title in and of itself, the apostle only means someone who was sent specifically for a specific thing, and that's what Jesus was. He was sent you know, to die for the sins of humanity. He's not considered one of the 12 apostles that we see um, engraved in heaven in the book of Revelation. Um, but, and he is our high priest. And that, again, would just send shockwaves to these Jewish Christians, you know, because they think, now, wait a minute. You know, it's sort of like, um, and I'm not picking on any denomination, but the struggles that Catholics go through when they become born again. You know, they still want to think of the Pope as being that person and, and, and of course, Mary and all. But then when they're challenged by the Word of God, it does challenge them, and I'm glad it does. And, um, you know, and, and guys who got saved during the Calvary Chapel movement, to, to just to hear Chuck saying, I don't want you to follow me. I don't want you to follow the Chuck method. That, that's going to die when I die. And yet, a lot of Calvary guys struggled over that. You know, we thought the Lord would come back before Chuck died. You know, um, and, and again, that's what that means. But you know what, guys? Even in Second Timothy, a pastoral epistle, yes. But where he says in 2 Timothy 2, 7, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And that is a great challenge. 
And that's what he said. Consider, consider, fix your mind on this thing. And the problem, again, that God was having with the nation of Israel, they weren't doing that very thing. They weren't considering. They, you talk about emotional roller coaster. I mean, one day they're like up on the mountain. They're hearing God's voice in the cloud and they're seeing miracles. And then they're down in the valley flirting with the, uh, thoughts of idolatry and to worship, you know, the different gods and all. And in fact, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3, I love this, especially out of my old king. The ox knows its owner and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know and my people will not consider. Just, they won't do it. And he has charged you and I to do that very thing. And I hope, and I even pray for our Sunday congregants when they come. And I realize not everyone can make it out on Wednesday. But even the Bible studies they get Sunday or whatever they do, that they would really fix their attention to it. Verse 3, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And he does deserve it. Man does not deserve any glory whatsoever. Inasmuch as he who hath built the house, he's making a point, he says, built the house, has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that builds all things is of God. And that again you know, I, the idea um, that a physical place would be honored and glorified is—I don't know—it's sinful. You know, when you hear people, "Have you seen that church?" and "Have you seen?" and you know, I was invited to go see my son, my son who lives down in Virginia. They just built a brand new church, a brand new facility. And they really, they really, and by the way, the pastor there is top notch, great guy and all. But the thing that grieved my heart is everyone talking about the building, the building, the building. My, you know, if, if the bomb goes off, then where's the building then? You know, the building of God is not physical wood and it's, it's you and I. We, we make up the body. That's the house that Jesus is referring to when he says, you know, um, the gates will not prevail against his church, his house. And so, again, he is, again, driving a point home to these Hebrews. He's saying, look, gee, he's far better than Moses. He's far better than than than." Um, Aaron, in fact, when Moses finally got them in the, in the promised land, not one of them made it. How disheartening would that be? Other than, you know, Joshua and Aaron and all. Most of the first generation died in the wilderness, never to make it in. Oh, that, imagine that, you know, you pastor a church, you know, for years and years, and you look at it, and, you're, and, and you, there's not one, one, one person still walking with the Lord that you started with. That would just kill me. Would destroy me. A physical church does not need to be glorified. I think it's the appearance of it should be as if people wouldn't want to shun away or they would come back. Chuck used to teach when someone would come and visit your church, their first impression is their last one. It's true. So whatever they walk in, whatever our visitors, our guests walk into, whoever meets them the first, right? That's going to be their impression of the church, shy than a miracle, right? So if you get somebody that's just sort of got that Eeyore mentality, they're going to think, oh, everybody's like that in the church. So pray for your church. You know, pray for this 
building and pray for your pastors and that when people walk in here, they're going to go, wow, this is a great place to learn about Jesus. Make sense? Yeah, sure does. Uh, Verse 5 says, Moses verily was faithful in all of his house as a servant, right? And he was, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. In other words, what Moses was dealing with and and the whole story of the wilderness journey and all the the mirror, they they were illustrations of something that was going to happen in the future. You know, so that they're not making it an end and they're doubting and disbelief and all that and not being able to enter into their rest is, is an illustration for the believer today. And again, I have to ask you, are you in his rest? Are you one of these believers that are, I met in the first few years I was married because I wasn't married. <laughs> first year, a few years, that was a blur. But first few couple of years I was saved, um, got into some really weird doctrine. And I never had any peace. Every night I went to bed wondering about my salvation and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, did I grieve the Holy Spirit? And it was because of the trips these teachers were putting on, you know, putting on us. But anyway, he wants us to have a rest. And, um, and again, if you keep going down, he says in verse 6, but Christ uh, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? We are his house. We make up the body of Christ. But look, it's contingent. It, there's, look, it's conditional. He says, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And, and again, I'll try to paraphrase that for you to make it kind of applicable to us. But if you keep the courage and you remain confident is what he's saying. So those Hebrew Jews, they might have even started off strong. You mean we can get saved? Yeah, Jesus died. We believe it. They get radically saved. There's a church that's birthed. Now the struggles start to set in and they lose their confidence and they lose their courage. They're not sure if they're coming or going as a Christian. And I think the, the, the Lord wants us to be steadfast in our faith. Don't you? You know, I don't... We should get tired of doubt, questioning, does God really, if a Christian's been saved more than a couple years and he still wonders if God loves him for who he, there's something wrong. Or if later on you're starting to think, I lost my salvation. Well, why? What's wrong? Well, I don't know. I just think I lost. Something's definitely wrong. And I'll tell you what it is. You haven't considered. You haven't fixed your mind. You haven't been using the Old Testament illustration to prove a glorious point in the New Testament. There's no way the enemy should be able to creep in and create that kind of doubt in your life. Now, I'm not saying we don't struggle over theology and beliefs like that. I, I, I get that. I still, struggle. I still study this Arminianism and Calvinism. And every time I think I got a handle on just one aspect of that theology, then something else comes up. So I'm back down and I'm starting to study it all over again. You know, you, when it comes to things like that, we're not going to understand it until we're home in heaven. Doesn't, you know what I mean? If God wants to say, I've been preordained, elected before the foundations of the earth, that's his prerogative. He can say that all he wants. And then if on the other side he says, but I want you to work out your salvation in fear and trouble. Well, I guess he has the right to say that too. Why? It deals with the eternal. And you and I, as long as we're in these human bodies with these finite minds, you know, 
We're finite. He's infinite. How are we going to understand that? Amen, guys? So don't even get in that arena. Don't worry about it. Just thank God you're saved. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? And guess what? It was even written in there before you were saved. Can you wrap your mind around that one? Then when is it blotted out? Back in the eternal somewhere. Well, when does that start? It doesn't ever start because it's always been. See what I mean? Ah! But like the psalmist, when he says, I studied it, man, you span it out the galaxies with your face. So who are we that you would be mindful of us? That's where I'm at with it all. I'm just glad the enemy can't, he can't. He can't come against the church, the real building of God. You and remember Peter? Hey, who do men say that I am? And they gave their definitions, you know. Okay, who do you say that I am? And he goes, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Wow, Pete, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And upon your statement, I will build my house, my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not, say it with me, prevail against it. So... But the challenge again is if we continue, if we remain steadfast, then the doubt seems to fade and the doubt and the worries and the fears begin to, you know, fade away. He says in Colossians, and I'm losing my voice, great. (laughs) Colossians chapter 1 verse 23. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded, settled. Be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister of Jesus Christ. Twice in the chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul, I mean, uh, John said this in the book of Revelation, but that which you have, um, have already hold fast until I come. That means to have a firm grip. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. So hold that fast which thou hast. Don't lose it. Why is he telling us to do that? What well, does it mean that we could let loose? It means we could like, kind of let loose of our grip. I don't have all the answers. And you can have your opinions. You go, go, Lord knows you're welcome to them around here. My opinion is you can. You can let go of it. Doesn't mean he'll let go of you. But you can let go of everything you know. In fact, the very truth that brought you to the cross, you can begin to doubt if you don't hold fast to it. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. Why would he tell us to do that? Because we could. We could have the tendency to let go. As soon as we stand in the current and we begin to get tired, we begin to doubt him. Look, we are the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it talks about that we have been fitted together. We have, we are, did you ever see one of those Lego sets? You know how they are, they, they're, they're snapped in and they're, that's the same way. We have been jointly fitted together. The body, we are living stones according to Peter. One built upon another stone. And we need each other. We need, I need you. I need everyone. I need Rich in my name. I need Brian in my life. I need my wife in my life. 
I, I need you in my life. Why? Because we make up the body of Christ. We are living stones, not dead stone, built. And what happens if you start to remove some of the stone? I was in this cabin with my wife one time, and outside of the cabin was this fireplace that they literally made out of river rocks or the lake rocks. And it was the coolest thing. But I noticed, looking at one side, it seemed to be tilted. And first thing I thought, well, they never put a foundation on that thing. Or it wouldn't be tilting, you know. And I was wrong. There was a foundation. But you want to know why it began to tilt? It's because some of the rocks from the bottom were removed. And the whole thing was jeopardized now. It was a strong foundation. But because some of the living stones were taken out, the structure of it started to tilt. And I think it's a great picture of the body of Christ. Don't think that you don't belong. You belong. Every one of you is belong. Well, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talent. You are dead wrong. You do. You know, you, it might not be in the area of speaking. It might not be in the area of, of uh, leading worship. But I'm telling you, God fitly joins us all together to make up his house, his church, his body. You start removing some of those stones, you got problems. You do. Verse 7, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. He's referring to a time period with the Israelites. In the day of temptation in the wilderness. And most scholars will point to one specific time period. We core and all that in the Old Testament. But it could be applicable to any time in the Old Testament. Or in their journey. You know where they were blowing it. It could be when they doubted. They, they were going to die of thirst. They were going to die of hunger. They began to doubt the very promises of God. He says don't harden your hearts. When Israel kind of, that's provocation, literally means when they rebelled. That's why it could be any time period. In the day of temptation in the wilderness. And how did they test God? How did they tempt God? By not believing. You can't test God like put him on trial. That's, that's absurd. God, well, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to. If God wants you to do something, you're going to go be, you're going to do it. If it's in his will, he is going to use you, you know. But where God says, you test me, you kind of put me on trial is when you don't believe me. So that every time a Christian doubts his salvation. Well, what you're saying is, I don't believe that by grace am I saved through faith. What you're saying is, I don't believe that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're just saying, God, that's not true. At least it isn't true for me. That, that's tempting God. And, and that disbelief isn't rocking his world. That disbelief is going to rock your world. Not him. He says, when the fathers tempted me and proved me. Saw my works for 40 years. Now listen, I'm pretty sure I'd be probably a part of that group, that crew. If I was an, an Israelite coming out of Egypt, saw the 10 plagues, you know, the, the inauguration of, of the Passover meal, you know, the lamb and on. If I saw that, you know, in my mind right now, I'd say, well, I would never doubt. If I saw a pillar of fire at night and it wanted me to move every time it moved, and then there was a cloud. If I saw water coming out of a rock, you know, if I saw manna falling down from, I wouldn't, I'd be a believing person, man. I don't think so. I'd probably be just like the rest of them. 
You know, isn't it true that we, we swear we'll never gossip, we won't be a slander. But you get among people who start to do it, not only do you start to listen to it, you start to engage. At one time you said you'd never do it, but here you are, you're engaged in it. There's probably a time where you say, I will never doubt God and my salvation. And years down the road, you start to doubt it. Say, so, hey, my, my dear brother, he, he totally changed his mind later on. But because of discour- discouragement, he started to question if the Lord was coming back in our time. This is the guy that led me to the Lord. This is the guy that had on his jeans embroidered, Jesus is coming. And he got, he went through some really crazy times, hard times. Came down with an illness, PSP, progressive supernuclear palsy. He knew it was going to kill him. And he started to question. But on his deathbed, he felt so foolish. He goes, I know the Lord's coming back. But he said, but I think I'm going to get there before that. And he did. He's home with the Lord now. But um, we are, we are to, the challenge is don't harden your heart. You know, Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen says, Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. Literally means you fall into some real serious trouble here. When you begin to allow the enemy to harden your heart, or you, I don't want to give credit to the enemy all that. When you harden your heart, when you harden it with disbelief, I'm not going to trust him anymore. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Amen, guys? And lean not. Yeah. Don't try to figure it out. Every time I think I've got it figured out, I'm going, oh my goodness, I just need to trust. Anybody with me tonight? Just trust. He brings up the, he brings up the ancestors there, or the, the forefathers. He says, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my work for 40 years, Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts. And that's where it starts. The heart. That place that we call it the seat of spirituality. The heart. Behold, I stand at the door of your what? Your heart. Not the physical muscle. It's the place where the spirit is now alive. And his spirit now is alive. In your heart, you know. They do err with their hearts. They're always turning from him. So I swear in my wrath, when I think God has anger, they shall not enter into my rest. And he brings that idea of they're not going to make it in because of disbelief. Even with all the miracles. Listen, the Bible says it's a wicked and an adulterous generation that seeks after signs. I mean, you can't get any more pointed than that. And yet I just don't get it. I mean, it happened during the Jesus People movement. We had the charismatic meetings. And then we had afterglow meetings. And be honest with you, all day, we, we, we go to these meetings because we wanted to see a sign. The Bible says don't seek after signs. The only time signs appeared in the book of Acts is after the teaching of the word. Not before. The, the, the word was verified because, you know, and the signs showed that it was the word of God. But yet today people want signs. And signs. You know, and every time I, I look into it and I'm watching what the church is doing today, it's a little spooky. Have you ever seen some of this stuff? What some of the young kids are getting drawn into the Bethel movement, the Bethel church now. No, I don't want you to go search it out and get inundated with all that. But it, it's so evil. 
Some of the things that they're saying is of the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit at all. It almost looks satanic. Uncontrolled motor functions. The, the prophet is subjected to the prophet. You, you don't lose your faculty. You don't lose control over the motor, the motor to develop, I guess, whatever that's called, because the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's crazy. There's no place in the Bible. Now, can people go, because of the heaviness of God, lose their bound, go under? I guess, I suppose, I see that in the Bible. But to use this terminology, I was slain in the Spirit. There's only two places where people were slain in the Spirit. One of them was Ananias and Sapphira. I don't think you want to be slain in the Spirit that, like that. So be careful. Even with all these signs. Now do I believe God can still heal? Absolutely. And, you know, I know he can. I've seen it in my own, my own family. I've, I saw my, my, my son a year and a half. Supernaturally healed. Dr. Sussman of, of uh, Cooper Medical under the neurology department said, this is something I can't explain. This is coming from a doctor's mouth. We've seen it before, but there's no explanation for it. My son was healed. You know, they were telling me to get ready for him to be dead by the morning. So I know he can heal. But then I saw my other granddaughter with neuroblastoma who had to fight for every inch of her life to survive. I still think it's a miracle. I do believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I am not afraid for God to heal people and pray for, and pray for that. But he was grieved. He was so grieved. And um, listen, I want to read a verse out of Jeremiah 7. Just write it down as a cross-reference. Jeremiah seven twenty six. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but they hardened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. Two things are mentioned there. They, they would not incline their ear. They wouldn't listen. And they allowed themselves to become stubborn. Stubborn, a mule. And even God, cho- uh, uh, our, um, uh, the Lord um, challenged Paul when he says, hey, it's hard to kick against this goad, isn't it? You're so stubborn, but you can't beat this one, an instrument to make an animal move in a certain direction. He goes, you know, you can't, it's hard. But we have the tendency to become stubborn. Well, why? How, why would we? Because we don't like what we hear. We don't like the conviction of our hearts, so we'll, we will. We'll, we'll, we'll become stubborn and go. I, I, you don't know how many times I've heard, and especially guys of my age saying, I wish I had listened to the Holy Spirit. I would be in the ministry today. In fact, I was just talking to a guy up in Calvary, Philly, and um, not in the ministry, but it was the same conversation. And what he said, when I was a teenager, I was discouraged to enter into the ministry so I went off into college. How many kids today are missing that call because they were forced to go in a different direction? It's just something to think about. So, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. The idea is just being careful. Departing from the living God. And actually, if you, if you want another translation, he's, he's putting it on them. You make sure, make sure that your own hearts aren't evil, unbelieving, 
and turning is the correct translation. And here's where the living stones come in now. This is we, you and I, right? He says, but exhort one another daily why it is called today. Let's, don't be afraid to warn another brother, another sister. Hey, listen, you got a call in your life. You're going to go to, how can I help you get there? You don't know how many, this church has put so many kids through Bible school. They come into the office and I really feel like I should get off to Bible school. If their parents can't provide for that, this church will send them and pay the whole nut. Now, I don't want to stand before God and say, hey, you had a young kid in your office who wanted to be in the ministry. And you, got, you couldn't fork out a couple thousand dollars to help them? No. So exhort one another daily while it is today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And boy, sin is deceptive, isn't it? For we are made partakers of Christ. And the idea that for we are is, in other words, is that if we are faithful to the end, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, again, that Greek word literally means that you're hanging on as if your life um, depended on it. Well, it is said today, if you would hear his voice, if it's conditional, some have even tried to translate this since you hear his voice. You're going to have to do a little bit more convincing in my studies anyway. Again, if you hear his voice, then don't harden your heart. As in as in the provocation or when Israel rebelled, they hardened their hearts. They wouldn't listen to the word of God. Listen, I know it's a little fast forwarding it, but in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, let us consider one another to provoke, to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assemblies, the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is when when Hebrews was being written, he's saying, look, Jesus is coming soon. So this is what we need to do. Let's start provoking one another to good works, loving one another. You're going to Bible school. I'm going to help you get there. You, you know what? You want to teach a Sunday school team? Let us train you. We're going to provoke you. We're going to stimulate you if we can to do good works. Well, we're not saved by good works. We know that. No one's saved by good works. He's talking about after the fact. As you see the day approaching. And I'll tell you what. I see the day approaching like nobody's business, man. If you know anything about the scriptures... And you watch the news today, and you're not stirred about the second coming of Christ? Something's wrong. I don't know where. But I'll tell you what, I'm so excited about the return of the Lord now. But the idea there in Hebrews chapter 10 is we cannot neglect the meeting together, the assembling together. You need to be in church. You need to be involved in ministry. We need to provoke one another unto good works. Not discouraging. And I get more of that than I get the other. You know, why would you have that person? No, we want people involved in the ministry. Amen? Look, he says in verse 16, For some, when they had heard, did provoke. You know, they did rebel. Howbeit, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses... 
But with whom was he grieved forty years? What, who was he mad at? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcass, carcasses fell in the wilderness? The ones who died didn't make it in. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Jude picks up the same thought in chapter 1 verse 5. Jude said this. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this. How that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterwards he destroyed them that believed not. Just destruction. It's not likely that I'm going to go into chapter 4 this evening. But if you'll do something for me. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians Chapter 10. It's always good to get the old, the new, get the mind of God and the, the mind of the Holy Spirit of what this author, author was trying to say to these, this church. Not just to the Jewish Christians here, but even to the Gentiles. He would encourage them about just being able to be steadfast. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Rich, if you want to make your way up here, but we, we were going to finish out. It says, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. He's just talking about these miracles, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, crossing through the Red Sea. Can you imagine that? If I were to ask you, if you went through on dry ground, there was a wall of water on each side. of You know, I saw this fish like kind of looking through, checking you out, you know. And then you went on your way, you went to Calvary, South Jersey. Would you be a believer dealing with doubt if you just saw that? We would say no. We would say no, there would be no way, but they did. If you saw the Egyptian military who's on their heels and they're going to destroy them and get swallowed up by the Red Sea, would you doubt for a moment that God could protect you? We would say right now, no, I would never doubt if I saw something like that. How many of us heard, well, for me to get saved, Jesus himself would have to appear. Jesus himself could appear, but they wouldn't get saved. I'm telling you now. Because your salvation has nothing to do with what you see. Not by a sign, not by a miracle. All these thousands and thousands going out to these meetings today, you really honestly think they're saved because they raise their hand and they worship? That's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to death, burial, resurrection. You know that you're going to hell if you were to leave this planet and you cry out for salvation and you try, you trust the cross. That's what makes a person saved, not miracles. He goes on, he says, and we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all, uh, all eat the same spiritual meat. He's talking about the manna, drink, uh, all did, or all a drink from the same spiritual rock for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them can you imagine that you're walking in the wilderness you turn around this rock, rock starts to and it stops you start to walk a little bit more you turn around and rock stops well that's what it ended this rock followed them now i don't know if it really was like that it's just don't harry's into this weird thing but what it, it said that their their clothes never wore off their body 40 years never wore off well, I wish that was true to them. I mean, the clothes, my bill for clothing. I'm anyway. 
But with many of them was not well, God was not well placed, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were, these things were our example. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And neither be idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down and ate and drank and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. And fell in one day 3,000, I'm sorry, 320,000. And neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempt and were destroyed of serpents. If we remember that. They were murmuring, complaining, and so God sent the serpents, and they began to die, and they had to erect a serpent on a pole. And if any man looked at the serpent, then they would, you know, their lives would be saved. They saw all this and still fell in the wilderness because of unbelief. Verse 10 says, neither murmur ye, as some of them were murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them. Now listen, because it was for an example that they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world are come. Therefore, let him that thinks he stand, what do what? There's that word. Take heed. Consider. Fix your eyes upon it. Don't lose sight of the promises of God. God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 13 is where I want to camp. Therefore hath no temptation taken you, but such as common are to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. What is he saying there? In light of all this, keeping it within its context... And I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but they didn't need to doubt. They did not need to complain. They did, there was not one reason why they would do that other than they became hungry or thirsty. When they said to Moses, it would be better if we just died in Egypt than just come out here in the wilderness. And that broke God's heart. And how many times do we hear If I knew it was this hard as a Christian, maybe I'd have given it another thought. Life was better when I was in my Egypt, where I had the watermelons and the leeks and the cucumbers, and that's what they were saying. They weren't thinking about the bondage they were under. And so too, when a a person comes to the Lord and God delivers them out of his Egypt, out out of the bondage, they forget what God really has delivered them out of and they start to long to go back into the world and they begin to doubt the cross, they begin to doubt the blood, the resurrection, and it grieves God's heart. They will never enter into God's rest. Now right away, people are, does that mean they're not saved? I don't know. Well, I thought before the foundation, I just don't know. I can only tell you what this is. As that person doesn't enter into rest, I don't know what that means. Never having any peace. Always going from one church to another church, one Bible to another Bible, one thing to another. There's no rest. But if they would just fix their eyes on the one whom, who died, was buried, and rose. To be steadfast in the promises of God. That's the person who stays in his rest. No temptation. 
God always makes, there's no temptation. This phony stuff that, you know, that I fell because the temptation was too great. I am sorry. I know there's a physical thing going on up there. I get that. But there's no one breaking your arm and to make you sin again. Not with all the helps we have today. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. You have hospital. You don't have to go back. You are led away by your own lust, your own desire. Someone said, well, how are you? You don't understand because you were never an addict. I've got to be an addict to understand the Bible. And what are you going to tell somebody like David Wilkerson, who was raised on a farm in a Christian house who started Teen Challenge? He didn't understand. That's another lie of the enemy, and that'll take you out of your rest. Does it sound true, guys? Yeah, it doesn't have to sound true. It is true. Stand up with me. Listen, if you're challenged tonight as I am, doing this pastoring thing, trust me, it's quite easy to get out of his rest. You start thinking you got to do it on your own strength. Got to come up with the new gimmicks. You got to do, you know, the gymnastics to keep a church alive. And then you got to, then the Holy Spirit comes and he goes, wait a minute, First of all, I'm not that kind of person. Somebody would have to take my place. But he said to me just the other day, I will add to the church daily such it should be saved. He does it. He's the evangelist. His Holy Spirit. He was sent into the world to convict the world of sin. Not her, not you, not Rich, not Jer. A Holy Spirit of God. I just could keep going. Shut up, Harry. Go ahead.